Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we have pretty widespread weeds of concern in our fields. There are patterns in herbicide programs and application timing that lead to specific issues in a field, usually with a tweak of the program or on occasion an additional application. These weeds can be controlled before they become a major problem. And it's usually less expensive, of course, to handle the breakthrough weeds before they have time to become established and build up a seed bank. So today we're going to talk with Dr. Mark Laux about some of these specific weeds and also about um, general burn down practices. So Mark, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi everyone, Mark Laux, Extension Weed Scientist in the Department of Horticulture and Crop Science since 1987. Well, welcome back. Uh, we had you on just a couple of weeks ago to talk about supply issues and how to manage around that. Let's revisit that a little bit as it applies to burn down. What have you been hearing lately? Uh, it's a little bit hard to tell. I'm not. I'm not hearing that much. I've I've had questions about glyphosate lately, so I wonder if glyphosate's starting to. To come in, I have I know that some people have paid a lot for a number of different herbicides. Glyphosate's one of them. Liberty's certainly another one. So, um, you know, we've talked about that in in various meetings, and we've covered it in the newsletter. I think, um, you know, if you kind of go by corn and beans, corn, you know, you have some different options. You don't have in beans, like you know, that combination of mesotrionatrazine is it really has always been just a great burn down in our plots. I mean, it pretty much annihilates everything well enough. You can put a little 2,4-Diagramopsin or something with it. You don't necessarily need glyphosate in there. And then you've got, you know, you've got more flexibility in how you use 2,4-D and dicamba, you know, and corn um, and some things like that. And then you also have this, this play between 28% and atrazine and those type of things. So for example, like uh, cereal rye, which we typically say, okay, you need glyphosate for sugar rye, although, you know, there's data that shows that like to select clethidin products and Assure can actually kill it. It may just be really slow and you may need a really high rate, but you know, one of the recommendations in corn is you can use gramoxone with um, some atrazine in, you know, at least 10 gallons of 28 and do a pretty good job of burning something like that off and a lot of other stuff too, that you don't, you can't really do that in beans because you're not going to use 28 there. So I guess we're a little bit less concerned about corn um, you know, when you come back to beans, your standard has been glyphosate 2,4-D because, you know, it just kind of covers a really broad range of, of weeds. It's weak on overwintered mare's tail, depending on what you're following post with, that's an issue. But, you know, you have some other options. You can go glyphosate sharpen. I think, I think once you start to step away from glyphosate, it's doable, but sort of more challenging. And so it also depends, are you willing to use gramoxone again? Gramoxone with 2,4-D with metribuzin, something that contains metribuzin is, is a very good burn down. It's always been underutilized. But then gramoxone is not necessarily cheap and not everyone wants to spray it. So one of the points that we tried to make is, you know, spend more time scouting fields. So you, you have burned down fields that don't necessarily have a lot of weeds. And then you have some that have a lot and some that have dandelion and some that have this and that can kind of drive how aggressive you get, which which goes against sort of the basic uh, premise that's that's we've been all everyone works under, which is I set my herbicide program up in the winter and I spray it on every field because I know it's good enough to take care of everything that I have and I don't really want to deviate from that. So this is your chance to come back and mix things up a little bit. One of the other points we made was you have 
try to always have two products together in a mix. So if you decide I'm not using glyphosate or I'm taking my glyphosate rate down, right? Say I'm gonna use, you know, 10 to 15 ounces of power max instead of, you know, 22 to whatever, and you're gonna have 2,4-D or dicamba if it's an extend um, bean, right? You know, can I put Sharpen in with that? Can I put something that has some Clemuron in with it that actually has some burn down activity? So try to have, think of having a combination. So, you know, in our work, Anything we do with burn down, we'll rely on a single burn down active. It never works. Like people think, well, 240 is good or dicamba is good. And, and you think that is on certain weeds, but then you put it out by itself in a burn down or just with residuals and it looks like crap. You know, it needs glyphosate with it or it needs gramoxin or it needs sharpen or something else with it. So just try to think about um, the complexity there, I think. Um, the other thing is we have strong post systems. So not you know, not everyone is using dicamba post, even if they have an extend beam, but they have that option. You've got the 2,4-D you can use in the enlist. Liberty, uh, not as good as finishing off probably weeds that escaped your burn down as the other two. And then you can also save some glyphosate for that post as well. So you have some of those weeds coming to the end of their life cycle anyway. And then you have others that you can finish off uh, with the post, I think. You know, I think we, in the in the news article we ran twice, we have more specific recommendations on that and you know we always encourage people to, if, you, if you're thinking about a specific mix and you want to run it by us you know just let us know you always have helpful information that comes through the corn newsletter when we need it so that's a great resource for folks to look into in addition to availability this is more of a perennial issue but weather patterns this time of year can make it difficult to pick and choose what field activity you're going to get done and we know that when we have springs like what Aaron is starting to forecast this year, it can be tough to get in and get those, those burn down applications taken care of and things can get out of control. What recommendations for best management practices do you have to help us manage these weather patterns that we're seeing? Yeah, I think what it was a number he floated out the other day, or I saw at another meeting was an Aaron, but someone else floated out. We've lost on average five working days in April or, or something like that. You know, one of the things we've tried to emphasize is fall applications, because typically if you do anything in the fall, I, I would say prior to this big increase in herbicide costs, you could do it for $5 worth of herbicide, really just a pint of 2,4-D and a, and a pint of glyphosate is all you really need. And it creates this just really weed-free situation in the spring, and then eventually you have some small weeds coming in. So I, you know, that has cycled from late nineties, kind of doing that to get a hold of some, get control of some nasty chickweed infestations and dead nettle too. We need that to control mare's tail. So now we're back to maybe, well, I don't necessarily need a fall application, but when you look at these weather patterns and risk management, I think that five or six dollars worth of herbicide or whatever in the fall goes a long way towards just creating this immense flexibility in the spring with weed management. You almost in those fields you just have time to do whatever you want. And in some of those fields, really, if you if you didn't get on before planning, given that we have the enlist system and the extend system, I mean, you could cover those after planning probably relatively easily. So, you know, we've tried to encourage people to think about uh, fall applications from risk risk management. And, you know, think about fall applications. I, I think anyone who's ever done a fall application, I've never heard I didn't like what that did. What I What I've heard is I ran out of weather in the fall to get that done. Or I just kind of decided, well, I wasn't going to do it. You know, I, um, and it's, you know, you have to dedicate some resources to that. You know, and, you know, look at this weather pattern we're in this month, for example. One of the other things we say about burn down is try not to do it when you have night temperatures that are like freezing, you know, or down below 40. And that is, that's really difficult to accomplish even in a decent 
April sometimes. And so I think that gets ignored and burned downs work pretty well. But I mean, we're in a, there's a difference between a, I'm hitting a few nights of frost and then I'm popping up into the sixties and some sun versus what we have now, which is kind of this crap, you know, cloudy, cold grapple. There's a new word, right? Grapple or whatever that ice pellets. So, you know, that's a little bit harder to give advice on. Um, again, I, I think, uh, you know, if you're in a nasty burndown situation, it's just going to get bigger and woolier. Um, you can wait for warmer weather and everything will work a little bit better. You can say, okay, I just need to find some time somewhere in here where I'm at least at you know, 40 degree nights and, and 60 during the day to get this on. And then, you know, my post will kind of finish off what I need to, if it doesn't work well enough, but this is exactly the weather that, um, when we compared fall applications to spring applications way back. This is exactly the weather where you put glyphosate 2,4-D on and you look at it like two weeks later and say, this hasn't done anything. Like it's just sitting there like. And, and, and it's kind of slowly dying, but, but um, that's really what drove some of those fall applications. Great advice. You know, our standard advice also is just make things more complex, like, um, you know, yeah. pump your rates, put another product in, you know, do something like that. So in those situations, did they eventually die or is there a time period where if you continue to have cooler temperatures, it just kind of outgrows it because the activity on it? No, they didn't typically outgrow it. So I, I think of okay. like, uh, chickweed and dead nettle, for example, which are two big targets there. And they just kind of sit there and wither and just say, they don't disappear. One of your goals in that situation is I'm trying to clear them out, get them desiccated so that the soil dries out and warms up, right? I can get planting equipment through it, especially if you think of a nasty chickweed infestation, which we may not have as many now. So they just kind of sat there and I mean, they didn't grow. I mean, they just basically sort of turned uh, and just kind of slowly withered away, which, you know, they're ending their life cycle anyway but it didn't accomplish the goal. I'll just give you the comparison. The comparison is second week of April, you can go out with a decent rate of glyphosate. It actually doesn't that take that much. If you got a warm sunny day on chickweed, it's almost annihilated in a week. Like it's just gone because it's very responsive weed to glyphosate compared to these type of conditions we have now where it just kind of sits there and kind of hangs on. You know, I guess the depression would be it's dead. It just doesn't know it. Um, so if we were to get a couple of days, you know, three or four days in a row of good temperatures, that would be sufficient in this yeah. kind of scenario. I think you'd want to give it a day to warm up and then, and then hit it. It's hard to tell people they have big acreages. It's, you know, one of the challenges here is it's hard to tell people, okay, it's cold, but I can get across a field. It's hard to tell them, well, don't because you because they run, it's exactly what, you know, was the nature of your question, which was that's, I run out of time. Like, how do I prioritize things here? Cause when it, when it's time to plant, I'm going to go full bore on planting. Right. Now, again, you have these options, things like, uh, it reduces the effectiveness of things like Lexar, uh, Lexars, I guess, Acuron, or you name it, Resicor, can go on after planting, right, in corn, so you have some flexibility there. What the limitation is, prior to planting or before the corn's up, you can take that and add crop oil to it at a little 28 and kind of do whatever you want. Once the corn's up, you can't do all that. You, you're limited. You're going you're gonna to whack the corn if you do that, right? So you've got to, you're back to just surfactant, but then you can also throw a little bit of dicamba or glyphosate in with it. Um, as well. Um, and soybeans, again, you've got the enlist system. It's just that burn down gets tougher. I mean, you take a weed like uh, mare's tail would be one, especially if it's overwintered, where things that work the third week of April don't work mid-May necessarily. But you do have some flexibility there for sure. So if I get to late summer and mare's tail is my main weed that's popping through the canopy, what went wrong or what should I have done, do you think? 
Well, for mare's tail, you know, the, the system has been, I need a burn down. You can do fall, which takes the pressure off your spring. And I want residuals, you know, prior to our, these current systems, when you had Roundup Ready and non-GMO, you know, we had to make the residual last long enough so that the soybean canopy took over and you really didn't have a post. Now we have effective post. Um, you know, you still want residual out there to build the right window for the post. It's interesting, mare's tail and soybean. Soybeans will shade out mare's tail as the soybean canopy closes. It will shade out the ones that are just starting to come to emerge or have just emerged. But once they have legs and they've got a little bit of stem elongation, they will come through. So when you see those come through that late, they actually got to start back in can back somewhere in soybean canopy. Uh, but I think we see a lot less mare's tail. I mean, our surveys show this, especially the county educator survey that we have less mare's tail than we have had based on the effectiveness of those post programs. So, you know, and mare's tail is a tough weed. Nothing actually necessarily went wrong. But one of the things is where your post is being applied relative to soybean canopy. And you've probably heard guys say this too. I've heard guys, you know, when you talk about weed size while well, spraying with the right size and guys say, I spray right before the soybeans canopy because of what we just talked about, right? Well, your giant ragweed might be three feet tall then, right? So that's kind of kind of an issue. It's, it's a little bit hard to argue with it if everything was the right size because they're popping in with a post right before the soybeans canopy and that's ideal. You know, but you still have to focus on if I have water hemp, for example, I'm going to have to hit it when it's four to five inches taller. I really should. And giant ragweed, actually, you know, our post products are good enough. No one's spraying that when it's four to five inches tall. My joke is it comes out of the ground bigger than four to five inches tall, right? So it's being sprayed when it's 10 to 12 because it's growing twice as fast as everything else is. That's just the nature of giant ragweed. So that's kind of the issue that happens with those, with those really late ones, I think. And, you know, those really late ones, a few of those, you can live with those. We emphasize, you know, water hemp is more of a concern for us than mare's tail in that in that situation. They also produce fewer seeds. So the ones that pop through a canopy in July, end of July, aren't going to produce 200,000 seeds, not like the ones that go more full season. Um, you touched a little bit on water hemp. Um, could you go into a little bit more detail about, you know, how we can manage that better? Yeah, so of course, the challenge with water hemp is it uh, has several types of resistance, almost all, the, all of its glyphosate and ALS resistance. So that takes out classic pursuit, all those type of products. And there's sort of an unknown percentage. It's somewhere, depending on the area and the selection pressure you placed on it, like 25 to 70% of the populations in an area can be resistant to PPOs, you know, Site 14, Flexstar Cobra, Fowler, and Authority. Um, we're not, because of our post systems, we're not using as much Flexstar and Cobra in our post soybeans as we did at one time. That re PPO resistance does reduce the longevity of control you get from Valor, Fumioxys, and Sulfentrazone in your pre's, which is one of the reasons you have a diverse pre with some other active ingredients in there. And then it's developing other types, which we can kind of uh, come back to. In corn, you've got some really strong pre's. Um, I mean, you can scout corn when it's like 15 inches tall, just get a handle on it, come back with a post if you need to for that water hemp that's coming in. Our attitude on corn always is once you see it at about 18 inches tall, 18 to 20, and it looks good, you really should be home free except for burr cucumber, which is the worst weed known to man, um, I think. So, you know, you're not worried about it, but you want to scout. But you have like, if you don't have resistance that it's developed to these products, you've got some three-way mixes in corn pre-mixes that are really good. Uh, soybeans, it's not a burned down weed typically. 
And you, you want to have a diverse residual, but just you sort of have to think about allotting your resources. So, um, you know, your components for water hemp are your residual. And then a first post, depending on how your, well your residual worked. And then if you have to, a second post. But the modification, you all know this because everybody talks about it now, is adding like a site 15 herbicide to the post, either metallic or peroxisulfone. So you don't have to come back with another post application. Um, so you can kind of think about where am I allotting my dollars? And if, if you have low water hemp populations and your pre's have been working really well, you could say, okay, I'll go a little bit higher dollar on my pre. So instead of just like a Valor XLT, for example, I'm gonna um, go with a Fierce XLT, which has a peroxisulfone component in addition to the flumioxazin, right? Or I'm gonna take my Darty whatever and add Metribuz into it. So to beef it up a little bit. And then the idea is, okay, that'll work well enough. That'll push my post out late enough. I just need one post. You know, we have some resistance that's been identified to dicamba and 2,4-D in water hemp, but we haven't identified much. I think we got a hint of some in 2,4-D in some populations, but they should still work and bufosinate should still work post. We are putting tremendous pressure on those herbicides, so I expect them to break any time. I mean, we will start to have some issues with them, uh, certainly. So that's one philosophy. The other one is, um, you know, I'll go a little bit. I won't invest quite as much in my pre. For example, I won't use a site 15 there because I want to use it post. You might do a product that has like a Valor and Metribuzin in it or something like that. Come back with your post um, and then put the site 15 in. Peroxisulfone in that application, Zidua, but it's in other products, is, is the most effective, followed by metallochlor and then the Cetochlor, the warrant drops off. Um, so, and then there's a question about when to do that. So one of the comments I get from people, you've heard this too, which is I went out to spray my post or my pre-work so well, I went out and sprayed and I didn't really know when, you know, it wasn't up yet. So I didn't spray or, you know, I went ahead and sprayed anyway. And what do I do in that situation? And certainly you can go, okay, well, I've got a few up. I'm going to pull the trigger based on the fact that it's second week of June and I have this workload I need to get through. And I'm going to go ahead and put the site 15 with it right? Because I'm early enough. Soybeans are still two weeks from canopy. One of our issues here that doesn't get talked about much is we like to plant as early as we can, and it still takes soybeans, I swear, till the end of June to canopy in a no-till situation. So that's like 10 weeks of weed control. You know, that the expectations we have for weed control programs are huge, I think. It's amazing they work as well as, as they do. So you can kind of look at where you are um, in that. And then also, if you have you know, enlist or you have soybean growth stage restrictions. If anyone pays attention to those, where enlist is through R1 and then Liberty somewhere in there too. So you have that option. Now, the downside is uh, we have, we've identified some populations here that are not responding well to site 15 herbicides in our screening, right? And there's resistance to these. Um, I, I put out that, that uh, take action webinar that Pat Trannel did at Illinois that everybody should watch. Um, it was this winter, it's on their website. I've tagged it several times in my newsletter articles on that metabolic resistance is a really accessible, just really good, um, it just really lays it out in a very practical, what it all means um, from probably one of the smartest wheat scientists in the universe really. So um, works really well. So everybody should take a look at that and kind of what they're looking for in metabolic resistance and metallochlor and mesotron and atrazine. There's another sort of question there, which I didn't address in this week's article, which is what am I looking for to see that type of resistance, which we can talk about here if we still have time.
you mentioned bird cucumber and you know in pesticide training this month i had several farmers shaking their heads when i asked if that was an issue it's mostly because it comes up so late that it's a concern yeah so you want to talk about that a little bit more yeah it was a we had a year i don't know i don't know what happened this year we had the conditions that really favored bird cucumber I think for those guys who have it, it's the worst weed that they deal with. And it's exactly what you said. You can have a really good program in place. And I'll talk about what that is. And then it comes in the second week of July and it still has time to wrap around corn and take it down. And this will tag me as an old guy, but that's okay. Like my first year here, I was in a river bottom field down in Gallup Police. And these guys had for a cucumber. And they said, the only way we get it is with a high boy and buck when the corn's 48 inches tall. And that's dropping an application in there for those small ones. Now we did some research on it, had a grad student did research a couple of years and your pre-products that work on it in corn are uh, the best ones are the isoxaflutol, which is in balance and Corvus um, and then mesotrione. And so what you want to do in corn is start off with a good pre that has one of those in it. And then you can kind of watch things, but the one post product that has residual is mesotrione. And so well, the work that we did was to say, okay, if I, uh, we had a couple of different post timings. If I started off with, you know, like a balanced product versus just a pre atrazine premix, and then came back with a couple of different timings of mesotrione with glyphosate, you know, how long did that last? And could I make that work? And it helped. It did. And the longer you can push the post mesotrione out. So if your pre works well enough that you can push the post mesotrione out, it can go up the 30 inch corner V8, I think. The later you can push that out um, with a little bit of glyphosate probably and get that residual pushed out, the better chance you have it's going to help you out in July when that flush comes or even late June into July when that next flush of our cucumber comes. So the, so if you did the pre and come back with that like an 18 to 20 inch corn, when it's still easy to get in, you can do broadcast then, right? You're not worried about trying to get it down below the corn. Um, you can do that, but it doesn't work uh, quite as well. It gives you some help. I think the key is uh, going back to what those guys told me when I first started here was you can put glyphosate in Roundup Ready corn up to 48 inches with drops. You can put impact uh, and I think Armazon on bigger corn than that with drops. The key is that's not going to take out those ones that are already wrapping around the corn. That means that you had a decent program in place to begin with. And then you're coming back with a high boy and drops to try to pick up those new ones that are that are relatively small. So their philosophy was right. I don't know what their lead in to that Buckdraw was. And of course they didn't have glyphosate. That was the 87. We didn't rather pretty corn, but Buckdraw was what they used in that situation. So you're sort of thinking about a more complex program. If you're lucky, you know, the glyphosate mesotrion will hold it, try to get it out into that 20 to 30 inch corn range and see if that'll, that'll hold it a little bit better. It's a, and, and these recommendations are in the back of the weed control guide in that problem weed section. We, we go through these. Yeah, it's a tough weed. It's an impressive weed. Yeah, it was one this year. I remember doing some late season scouting and wondering where, where it all came from. You know, it's yeah. not something you see in as many fields as we saw this fall. Right. It's a large seed. It shouldn't survive very well. It shouldn't have good longevity. Uh, but yeah, nasty. So to wrap up, we want to give you the opportunity to, to really drive home the importance of residuals. Um, so we'll give you a few minutes to do that. Okay. I'll try not to have my blood pressure go up, given how many times I've talked about this, right? 
you know, and actually in this state, I have to pat everybody on the back a little bit. Like when the nationwide use of residuals and beans dropped to like 25%, we never dropped below 40% in that state. And I'd like to take credit for that, but it probably goes, goes to people being smart enough to realize that they shouldn't do that. And then that popped back up to, I don't know where we are, 80 or 90%. And then we have some holdouts. This is a year when everything costs a lot. So, you know, it's one of those times where people say, well, what can I leave out? And, it, you know, the, if you come back to the tough weeds, I don't know how you manage water hemp, giant ragweed, mare's tail, even common ragweed, if you have it in those areas that have it effectively, along with the other weeds, like lamb squatters is no fun to control post. I don't know how you do it. And you find out the weaknesses if your post pretty well, like Liberty, for example, glufosinate. I mean, you know, that's always worked well in the right system, but if you mess with that system and take the residual out, it looks like it's hard to manage. Every, it, it, you know, glufosinate's rotten on red root pigweed and lamb squatter, tough on grasses. So, you know, it's, and so you can go to a, you can go into a split post and say, I'm leaving residual out, I'm going to do a split post. And if you do it right, that can work, but that's not ideal. So, you know, a reminder on the residuals, those weeds have long periods of emergence. So you've got to get a start to push your post out late enough, to try to get some of those uh, late emergers. The pitch we made, you know, back when we were trying to push residuals after that round of ready thing kind of came out and everything started to look bad was guys are managing large acreages and weeds will start to reduce yield in soybeans when they exceed about six inches tall, right? And so you're basically trying to make sure you're maintaining your maximum yield potential. So the bean based on weather and fertility and everything else from a weed science perspective, right? That has a yield potential and weeds, weeds are a detractor from that. So you're trying to make sure they're not detracting from yield. So that's one of those things where you, you don't use a residual or don't use enough and you have a patch of weeds that comes up and you don't get back to it until they're eight to 12 inches tall, you've lost some yield in those areas probably, right? So you haven't maintained maximum potential. You're trying to spread out your workload and reduce risk. You know, a total post program is a really risky type of thing in terms of where do I time that, you know? And then if I get weather like this, when it's just raining, hopefully not snowing in June, but who knows? Um, then, you know, that's a, that's a problem situation. So I, you know, I know the temptation is there. I, there was a guy in a meeting a couple of years ago who said, I think I'm not going to use residuals anymore. This is before we had Roundup Ready or uh, Extend and Enlist and everything. I said, I'm going to take out my residuals. And I said, I think you'll probably find out how much mare's tail you have when you take the residuals out. <laughs> but, you know, the problem is that the cost is up. There are some cheaper alternatives. One of the ones I floated, this is actually amazing to me, but if you have the GT27 bean, and I just figured this out. Other people knew this before me, but, you know, you can use mesotrione on that being pre-emergence. Um, and, you know, given that we use a lot of mesotrione in corn, I don't know that that's really the best stewardship of that active ingredient and that type of resistance, but mesotrione's a buck an ounce or was like, that's a slug of residual weed control for like five or six dollars if you can get it, if you get it for that on that bean, can't use it on any other bean, but uh, yeah, I, and you, you can identify in the survey, you see these two. So, if you're a county educator and you're, you've done the survey for us or in our surveys, you come across a few fields. You know, you see a lot of fields where you have escapes, like I've got giant ragweed here, or I've got mare's tail, or I have water hemp or a little bit of this. And you're like, okay, something didn't weather, something didn't cooperate here or wasn't implemented exactly right. And then you have fields where you've got everything, like you got lambs, quarter grass, all these. And you're like, no, this guy, he, he didn't even, the first, the program wasn't even right to begin with. There's a program didn't have a residual, you know, didn't do this uh, or whatever. So, 
You can sort through them though. Just a reminder that, you know, the weed control guide again is a good reference when you're trying to sort through what you need. And, and giant ragweed is a good example of, you really only have a couple active ingredients to give you giant ragweed residual, um, Quimiron, Clarinsalam, and also some Pursuitum is at the pure. And once they have ALS resistance, you don't have any, but so you need to make sure you pick the right products. Yeah, I think you hit it right on. I mean, that's what I saw in my weed surveys exactly is like one weed broke through. And that's really why we wanted to do this podcast. If you're seeing one specific weed, then figuring out what went wrong, you know, if it was within your control and addressing that versus when someone just has a bunch of weeds and they're like not trying. (laughs) So, um, Thanks, Mark. I think this was really helpful for people narrowing down, especially if you don't have enough of something to cover all your acres this year or don't want to spend the money, but also know that you don't have to spend the money on every acre, right? You can address issues field by field, like you said at the beginning. You can, but you know it does require more scouting. Yeah. We're going to have to get eyes on fields more than we typically do. All right. Well, we can link up um, that video you talked about and you guys have a blog out some. The weed control guide, I think, has been reprinted. Do you know if it's back available? Oh, I think I saw it available. You can you can always get the PDF. Anything else for our listeners today? I don't think so. Good luck with this weather. Yeah, hoping it dries up fairly soon. Doesn't look good in the forecast, unfortunately. So. Right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.